want to make uh, one announcement. I just. Uh, <laughs> Hello. Okay, thank you. Uh, I just want to say that although uh, obviously I spent, we're spending quite a lot of time on marriage and divorce, and we're going to discuss it uh, some more, that is not the only thing this uh, course covers. Uh, after marriage and divorce, we're going to do medical ethics. That will include a lot of things. That will include organ donation, vaccination, uh, brain, brain death, huh? Lab meat. Uh, yes, okay. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to take yeah. any topic you want in those areas. You can send me an email or tell me when I'm here. So uh, don't think that just because I'm going on and on and on about this that this is the only thing. There will, there will be things after this, but this is also a topic that I still have more things to uh, talk about. And then we'll have a unit about uh, Eretz Israel, the army, war, giving back land for peace, etc. Uh, so there'll be different different areas that uh, we'll be we'll be getting into. So this is not the only thing, even though it may seem like it's the only thing. But uh, we will eventually make a seum on this. Okay. Uh, but what we began last week uh, discussing is we began discussing divorce procedure and the problem of the aguna, and remember aguna is simply a Hebrew, an Aramaic word that means the stranded, anchored woman, and that refers to the problem of a woman whose husband is refusing to give her a get. Now, in the United States or other countries, maybe she has gotten a civil divorce. In Israel, there is no such thing as a civil divorce, but Halakhically, it makes no difference because a civil divorce is not halakhically valid anyway. And therefore, even a woman with a civil divorce, if she had a halakhic marriage, she is still a married woman unless and until she gets a get. Now, there are husbands that refuse to give a get, uh, sometimes for blackmail, uh, sometimes uh, out of malice, pure hatred. And the question is, so the woman is an aguna. There are agunots who have been agunots for 10 years, 20 years, you know, really in their, their entire, entire life. So what we did last week, just to remind you very quickly, uh, was that uh, we were discussing how a woman might get a get through going to a basin. And here, uh, let's first look at it in terms of Eretz Yisrael, then we'll look at it in terms of Chutz La'aretz. In Eretz Yisrael, a woman who wants a get, whose husband refuses to give a get, can file a petition, file a demand in Beistin uh, that the husband should give a get. The Beistin then has a hearing, witnesses, evidence. Now, what are the grounds that a Beistin will order a man to give a get? It's not automatic. So I had mentioned last week, and again, forgive me for the quick review, that there is a fundamental machlokes between the Rambam, Maimonides, and Rabbeinu Tam, who is Rashi's grandson. According to Maimonides, it is actually very easy for a woman to get a psak that she's entitled to a get. All she has to say is, the guy is disgusting to me. I don't want to be married to him. The phrase, this is a two-word Hebrew phrase, Ma'is alai. He is repulsive to me. She does not have to give a reason. She does not have to substantiate her claim. She does not have to prove anything. She just has to essentially say, 
I don't want to be with him anymore. So according to the Rambam, any woman who wants a get can get a psak, now that doesn't give her a get yet, but get a psak of a basin. Rabbeinu Tam, however, argues with the Rambam, and again, this is based on Talmudic proofs. I, I, this is not just a subjective thing, this is based on interpreting a number of Talmudic texts in Tractate Kesuvos. Rabbeinu Tam says, Mois Alai is insufficient. The woman must establish grounds based on physical or severe emotional abuse, non-support, he doesn't support me, uh, ha- he has affairs, this will be an example, is another example, uh, refusal to cohabit, to cohabit, he refuses to have sexual relations, uh, meaning to say, Rabbeinu Tam complicates things a little bit, not a little bit, maybe a lot, because it is no longer the woman simply saying, I don't want to be married, she has to kind of give a reason, and then the base then has to assess credibility, because often it's a he said, she said type of thing, and the basin has to take evidence. Now, in this machlokas, what is the practical halacha? What will a basin do today? So the bad news is that the basins today do not follow Maimonides' view, and they follow Rabbeinu Tam's opinion. That, that's virtually universal in basins today, uh, and therefore they will require that the women have credible evidence. Now, it doesn't mean she has to have eyewitnesses for a lot of things. Obviously, if she claims uh, things that happen in the privacy of the home, she's not going to have witnesses. But she has to have some credible substantiation of things like, again, things like physical abuse, severe emotional abuse, non-economic support, refusal to cohabit, uh, or something like he stops being religious, right? That would be another example as well. And only if she could show things like that, I'm not giving you the whole list because the list could be very, very big, then a basin will give an order directing the man to give again. So the first step in the process is she opens a tick. Tick is the Hebrew word for file. The basin holds a hearing and she either gets an order directing the husband, or she doesn't get an order. If she doesn't get an order, then she actually is an aguna, then there's nothing <laughs> that can be done at that point. I'll discuss some other things. If she gets an order, so then good things can happen. Now remember, the order does not make her divorced. The psak of a basin doesn't say you are divorced. The psak of a basin orders the husband to give a get. What if he refuses? So in the state of Israel, there are a lot of things that can be done once the husband has an order. Because in the state of Israel, the order of a Beit Din to give a get is a judgment of a legal court of the state of Israel. And as a result, it can be enforced by fines, by suspension of his driver's license, by garnishment of his wages, withholding of his wages, and even by going to jail. In the state of Israel, a man who is ordered to give a get, who refuses to give a get, can go to jail. And there may be other things, you know, that, that's the ultimate thing. But before that, there are intermediate sanctions like lose his driver's license, 
uh, forfeit his wages, have his passport uh, taken away, but ultimately there can be imprisonment. And that imprisonment does not have a maximum sentence. He can stay in prison for 30 years. I mean, he, he can get out at any moment. All he has to do is give a get, but he, he can languish in prison. Now, this sounds good, but the problem is this. Uh, a lot of the agunot in Israel are because their husbands are already in jail. <laughs> They're criminals. They're serving life sentences. Now, the maximum punishment that the state of Israel allows is imprisonment. So what do you do to a guy who's serving a life sentence for murder? Now, let me point out, the state of Israel maximum is less than the halachic maximum. Halacha would allow even more. Halacha would allow beating. Halacha would allow putting a gun to the guy's head and saying, give a get or else. This is the famous principle that says, kofin oso, kofin oso. We can force the man, even by threat of death, ad sheyomar, until he says, rotsa'ani, I'm willing to give again. Okay? Uh, so in the state of Israel, legally, the maximum punishment is jail. Halachically, the maximum punishment could be literally, literally physical beating and, and the like. Now the point is, though, this works only in the state of Israel because the state of Israel is the only country in the world that can legally punish a man for refusing to give a get. Now, if we transpose the same scenario in America, a woman wants a get, it starts the same way. She files a request with a basin in America. The basin in America will hold a hearing and the basin in America may order the husband to give a get or may not. If they don't order it, then she's, she's in trouble, but if they order it. But in America, here's, here's where they diverge. Let's say a Basin orders a man to give a get in America, or any other country besides Israel, and the man just doesn't listen. What happens at that point? In Israel, the woman can get his passport suspended, his driver's license revoked, or even get him sent to jail. In America, none of that is gonna happen because of separation of church and state. You can't go to the police and have the man arrested because he didn't give a get. Under secular law, he doesn't have to give a get. So in America, that's where the system, when I say America, I mean every country besides Israel. In Chutz Laaretz, that's where the system breaks down. There's not a lot of enforcement, that's the key. There's not a lot of enforcement mechanisms that are available. The traditional enforcement mechanism is cherem. Now, cherem is available in Israel too. What is cherem? Cherem is excommunication. So a man who refuses to obey the decision of a basin can be proclaimed, ex, even in America, can be proclaimed to be excommunicated. The word is cherem, or nidoi. Those are basically synonyms. Now, what does it mean to be excommunicated? So technically, it's what the Amish would call shunning. It's kind of, you know, uh, you know we don't let the person be, go to synagogue. Uh, if it's a man, he's not counted for a minion. Even if his own children are having a bar mitzvah or a wedding, uh, we're permitted to exclude him, although if he shows up, you know, this could be very, very messy. I mean, 
Let, let's say a person's excommunicated and he shows up to shul. In theory, we have the right to kick him out. But how do you kick a, how do you kick a person out of shul exactly if he refuses to go? You know, they're, they're, again, unfortunately, I know myself, I'm aware firsthand of some very, very ugly business. How do they dub another minion? Huh? How do they dub another minion? Well, he doesn't count for a minion. So what if he's like in... But, he show, but people show up. Like, what, what do right. you do? What do you do? Uh, or let's say his son, is, he's, they're making a bar mitzvah for his son. Right? So he shows up in show. So the rabbi says, get out. It, you know, first of all, most rabbis, you're not going to say get out. I guess because we're too polite. But, but theoretically, the rabbi is supposed to say, get out. What if he says, no? What's the next step? I mean, cheyrim is a very funny type of business. Because on one hand, the cheyrim is a serious thing. On the other hand, how do you, when it comes down to nuts and bolts, how do you, you know, literally enforce it and the like? Now, eventually what might happen is, if the rabbi asks him to leave and the guy starts fighting, you can wind up calling the police, not, not because of the cheyrim, but because he's, you know, disorderly conduct. I, I, I know myself, I remember seeing a man who was dragged away from show by police. Of course, how do you call police on Shabbos? You can't pick up the phone. And, and, you know, it's a very, very messy thing. The other problem with cheyrim is this. Uh, not everybody listens to cheyrims, meaning to say, when you have a lot of different shows, let's say Chabad puts somebody in cheyrim. So the guy will dive in with Satmer. Or Satmer puts somebody in cheyrim. He'll go to Chabad or modern Orthodox. Or sometimes the guy's not religious anymore. So he doesn't care if, if some community put him in cheyrim because either he doesn't practice Judaism at all or the conservative reform movement didn't even hear about this at all. I mean, you understand, cheyrim is a weapon that can help, but it's very, 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 very limited. So in the United States, we have cheyrim. We have other things like demonstrations. I had mentioned Facebook demonstrations rallies, shaming, like the Jewish press. You're familiar with the Jewish press? It's a well-known Jewish newspaper in New York, Jewish press. Uh, So uh, for many years, they have a column that lists all the men that have not given gets to their wives. Say again? Yes, it is. Once, 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 there's a decision of a basin. Okay. Until the decision of a basin that's not proper. And I think I, I had mentioned before, there is an organization called ORA. Mm-hmm. ORA is Organization for the Resolution of Agunot. ORA. It's also a pun because ORA also means light. It gives light to women uh, in, in darkness. And one of the techniques ORA uses is they have these rallies and these demonstrations. But the big problem with ORA, I mean, ORA has been, Baruch Hashem has been successful has helped like 300 women over 10 years, which is, that's very, very good. But halachically, Ora's tactics are a little problematical because they jump the gun. They, they, they will organize these demonstrations before a woman has gone to Bastin and has gotten a decision. Once Bastin has given a decision, then you could do everything. I mean, halacha would permit even beating the guy with an iron pipe. So Kalvachomer... So legally, you're going to get in trouble with that. But, but you can have a demonstration because that's less than that. Now, I did mention to you, I think, 
that psychologically demonstrations are not always effective because sometimes that makes men more stubborn and recalcitrant. Sometimes it's better to flatter them instead of embarrassing them. But be it as it may. The point I want you to see is this. In terms of starting with the basin and getting a basin psak, the process in Chutz Laaretz and Israel is the same. But where there's going to be a big, big difference is what happens once you get a psak. The woman gets a psak. Psak just means a decision. In Israel, once a woman gets a psak, there's a whole bunch of things that she can have the legal system do, which puts a lot of pressure on a man to give a get. In the United States, or actually anywhere outside of Israel, the pressure is much, much diminished simply because the legal system of Chutz Laaretz does not enforce the decisions of Beistins because of separation of church and state. So uh, I would have to say, therefore, that although there is an Aguna problem, there certainly is an Aguna problem in Israel, just as there is in Chutz Laaretz, but uh, if a woman has to choose do I want to be an Aguna here or there? Uh, Agunos in Israel are in a better position because there are things they can do that they would not be able to do in Chutz La'aretz. Uh, yeah. Under what grounds can a husband ask, for, like, request a divorce from his wife? Oh, okay. So uh, basically, you're correct. And now, let me remind you under the original Torah law, no, so a husband could do it for, uh, against her will. But, but after Rabbeinu Gershom's enactment, he basically needs the same type of grounds that she needs. And Rabbeinu Tamal said as well. Yes, yes, and that, that didn't change. That, that, that's correct. Would the Rambam say that? Oh, so that's interesting. So according to the Rambam, the woman is in a better shape because oh, the, the ability the, the, to say, I don't like him, is only the woman's right, not the man's right. So, oh, it's, really? so it's interesting. The Rambam actually introduces the idea that a woman has easier grounds yeah. to get a divorce than a man. That's exactly so correct. Like Rabbeinu <laughs> Tan, they're the same. I'm sorry, uh, yeah. Um, so you could point a gun at somebody and say, get it, get but you can't actually shoot the gun. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, so again, let, let me clarify one point. Until there is a based in decision, right. I'm saying once you're it's all invalid. You cannot do that. I know, but, but you can actually shoot the gun. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You yes, you can. What? Yes, you so can. Someone? Yes, you can. Uh, because, well, well, because again, it really makes no, it really makes no sense to threaten something that you absolutely cannot do. So a threat can be backed up. Meaning to say, although I would say the following, I would say I don't think you can shoot. See, the way it would work is the following: you have to do it in a way. In other words, you can take a pipe and beat him and keep on beating him till he says yes. And if it kills him, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> shoot him, I think, is a little different because shooting him is you're not giving him that that chance. So it has to be more like a gradual, a gradual process of killing him over time, uh, where where he would uh, be able to do that. Now, um, yeah. But if the whole point is that you're doing that because it's not legally enforced in America. Yeah or, I mean, outside of Israel, yeah. beating someone is also illegal. No, 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 no. I, I, again, I, I'm, I'm talking on two different levels here, meaning uh, I was talking about what does halacha allow and what does secular law allow. Now, uh, 
you're raising a good question which I didn't fully address, and that is, in a pure halachic system, once a woman has a psak based and that the husband must give her a get, we could beat him, we could threaten to kill him, etc. But that's not legal. That's not legal in America, and it's not legal in Israel either, because in Israel the maximum punishment is going to jail. So the question I think you're asking, which I didn't address yet, is, well, if something is not legal, but it's halachically allowed, are we halachically allowed to do it if we can do it without getting caught? In other words, this is a real situation. Let's say a woman has a psak that a bastin is chayav. Chayav means obligated. I'm sorry, not the bastin. That the husband is obligated to give a get. She has a psak from a totally kosher bastin. But the husband is either not religious or doesn't care or found another synagogue that, that takes him in. So she's stuck. She has a psak, but she doesn't have a get. So, let's say it's in New York. Can she hire mafia goons to beat him up? Right? Like the Godfather says, make him an offer he can't refuse. Now, legally, no. Legally, they could go to jail for assault and battery. Halachically, it's permitted. So the question is, if something is illegal, but it's halachically permitted, so, and, and let's assume that I could, I feel, I could take the chance that I could get away with it without getting caught, we'd wear a mask or whatever it would be. What does halacha say? So that, that's a fascinating question, actually. And this is a real life question because this is an issue that goes on in America where women will hire mafia or, or whatever, whatever it would be. So some opinions say that because of the halachic principle that the law of the land is the law that Jews have to be law-abiding citizens. This is a halachic rule. Jews have to be law-abiding citizens of the country that they live in. That would actually mean even though halacha permits this maximum for- force, we could not go beyond what is legal. So that would include demonstrations, that would include shaming and the like. Other opinions say, no, other opinions say, hey, if halacha permits it and you can get away with it, go ahead and do it. So this is actually a live issue. In fact, let me tell you that, I think I mentioned this, there are actually several rabbis, orthodox rabbis, who are sitting in jail because of attempted physical coercion in fact, it's a very interesting story. And I, I knew the rabbi, I was actually on the basin with the rabbi years, years, years ago about something else. I mean, Baruch Hashem wasn't <laughs> involved uh, beating up anybody. But um, what happened was, this was an FBI sting. What happened was that this rabbi was assembling basins and ordering men to give gittin. He was like the judge and the jury. And when the man didn't give the get, he hired uh, people to, uh, to uh, give them electroshock and... Uh, Really, all sorts of cattle prods, all sorts of things. So somehow one of the husbands that got beaten up complained to the FBI because it involved interstate. They, did, they crossed state lines. And the FBI did a sting operation. It's quite, it's quite interesting. I mean, it's, it's an unfortunate ending in which a female FBI agent came to these rabbis. I don't even think she was Jewish, but she made believe she was Jewish. And she said, 
that uh, my husband uh, hasn't given me a get, and I want to go to this basin to get a get. I heard that you help women. And the basin held a hearing. Somehow she made up a whole story. She got a psak that she's entitled to a get. And then she said, well, my husband refuses to give a get, so the husband was a, was a male FBI agent. They weren't married. And when the husband gets in, and they tie him down, and they're about to give him electroshock. The rabbis are the ones physically doing it? I, I'm not sure if it was the rabbis or they hired somebody, but it was in front of the rabbis. The rabbis say, okay, we're now going to give you, you know, 100 volts. And they tie the guy down, and they're about to uh, do a uh, cattle prod. And then, of course, the door breaks down, and you have like 150, 150, because they were, they were photographed, there were 150 FBI agents run in, and they stop it right in the nip of time. This is, you know, uh, this is called an FBI sting. And these rabbis were arrested, and they are presently in jail for uh, assault and battery. So, so again, halachically what they did might have been okay but nevertheless it is illegal and there are, rap, there are opinions that say if it's illegal see, see how complicated this is semantically this is a complicated statement halachically it's okay but it's illegal so some opinions say the fact that it's illegal makes it halachically not okay that's one opinion but this rabbi apparently takes the position that the illegality does not affect well, so the halacha. Yeah, well, I, I think the truth of the matter is, I think the process, the base in itself was corrupt because basically the rabbi told women, that he gave money, he basically told them ahead of time, uh, for $25,000, we'll get you a get. I, I mean, you can't, a basin can't work that way. A basin has to determine honestly that the person has to give a get. How can a basin promise ahead of time, before they hear the woman's story, that you know, for $25,000, we'll get you a get. So the truth is, uh, the whole thing was not halakhically valid, even without the illegality. Uh, but I, I'm not giving you a psak here, but I can tell you, this is a live issue, uh, that there are, there are you know, a number of cases in New York where these things go on, where uh, a woman has a psak based in, the husband does not listen, and she engages in private enforcement. Usually the basin doesn't do it. This is a little unusual that the rabbis were so involved. Usually the rabbis are not involved. Usually the woman or her relatives uh, get the, uh, the initiative. Again, uh, you know, if you remember, the <laughs> I'm thinking about the Godfather for some reason because this is very, very similar. If you remember, uh, well, okay, I don't have to go to the Godfather. But anyway, the very first scene, if you recall, the... Uh, he went uh, to hire kind of mafia to beat up the people that hurt his daughter. Okay. So it's yeah. very case by case. The what? It's very case by case. Well, well let me put it aside. It's, it, it's, well, it doesn't vary from case to case, but all I'm saying is different basedins take different positions, meaning the basedin that says if it's illegal, you can't do it, they will apply that to every case. What would you say? Uh... I, I would say for a variety of reasons, if it's illegal, it should not be done. Uh, because even if you take the position that halachically it's still permitted, even if you take that position, I think the, the risk of, of desecrating God's name by having Jewish rabbinical courts involved in violence is absolutely so great that unfortunately that will override our solicitude for an aguna, meaning you can't do things that would bring the whole Jewish community 
into disrepute. Um, on the other hand, well, okay, it's a little, it's a little tricky. Maybe, you, maybe there you might threaten things that you actually wouldn't do. That, that, that might work. Sometimes there might be psychological coercion. So it's tricky, yeah. So what else can happen outside of Eretz Yisrael if Cherem doesn't work? Okay, so we'll, we'll discuss prenuptial agreements. There will be things I'll be discussing, but, but, but by and large, uh, uh, the standard remedies is Cherem, which may not work, demonstrations, rallies, which... Ora claims do, does work, but in a lot of cases it doesn't work. Uh, and sometimes it might just be uh, flattering, meaning you sit down with the husband and you, you try to appeal to his better nature, and sometimes, as I say, it's the opposite of the demonstration, where you just convince him. Uh, but as I say, uh, unfortunately, we do not have uh, the thing, Chutzlars does not have the remedies that an Aguna has in Eretz Yisrael. See, it's very important that you understand this. In Eretz Yisrael, a bastin, which is a religious court, is all, for, for divorce purposes, is a legal court of Medinat Yisrael. And that has a lot of implications. Uh, just as a secular judgment can be enforced by the state, a bastin judgment for divorce can be enforced by the state. That is unique because Israel obviously does not have a concept of separation of church and state. Some are trying to do that, but, but, but uh, even, even though Israel is a secular democracy, but it does not separate. That's why Shabbat is officially observed as a day of rest, even though many people don't keep Shabbos, etc. In fact, uh, what is the state of Israel? The state of Israel is a schizophrenic state. It is called a Jewish democratic state. And people have pointed out that the word Jewish democratic state is a contradictory term because Jewish would imply that it's a Jewish state. For example, we have a lot of Arab citizens, but it's a Jewish state, right? So Jewish, so how's it written? Jewish hyphen democratic state. So somebody once asked someone, uh, which part is the more, most important part of that phrase, Jewish or democratic? So the person said the hyphen is the most important part. Mm, like all countries are. Like England's also, it's a Protestant. Oh, that's correct. That's correct. England also has the uh, the Church of England, uh, which is the Anglican Church, which is the official church. Although not, nobody kind of, uh, you know, um, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's very very true. Uh, but even in England, even in England, it's still the case that the the psak of a Beit Din is not going to be enforced by a secular court. Right. right, so Israel is very yeah, unique is, in that way. I'm pretty sure, like, um, there, there is some English divorces that is more. Well, um, what was it? Well, the Church of England was created by Henry VIII so he could get a, so he could get a divorce. <laughs> That's why he created it. By the way, you know, Henry VIII, uh, you know, lived at a time when. England's Protestant. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, like on Sundays, businesses aren't open, allowed to be open for longer than five hours. Oh, right. Right. That's so, like they have to. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a very. Yeah. Okay. You know, Henry VIII owned a owned a uh, a whole set of, of Talmud. Yeah. yeah because uh, when he wanted to marry his brother's widow, so so his uh, the Catholic theologians told him he's not allowed to do that because that's the the Old Testament says it's incestuous, which it is if there are children. But then Deuteronomy says if there are no children, there's a mitzvah of leveret marriage. 
So there's a whole tractate, Masechet Shavama. So Henry VIII wanted to uh, go through all of those Gemaras to try to figure out, uh, to justify it. Yeah, it's not, I don't think he spent that much time learning it, but he bought a whole set, a whole set of, called the Bomberg Talmud. I think, I think it was sold recently for like a few million dollars. It's a very, very, you know, rare, rare first edition of Talmud. But is it uh, translated into English? No, no, no. He, he bought so the original, and he had his, uh, you know, he had his uh, okay. scholars look look at it. I'm sure, I'm sure they didn't spend that much time either. Uh, yeah. Um, I remember a couple of months ago, sometime after I already got to my note, that there was a news article about a man who had been sitting in jail for 19 years. Yep. Um, because his yep. wife was an abuna, and she finally said, like, the hell with it, I don't care anymore. Um, she like went to some other people that claim to be a or whatever. So how, how common is that kind of case that somebody really is sitting in jail for decades? Well, it is a problem, as I say. Even in Israel, see, that, that's the worst case scenario. Even in Israel, where we could throw the guy in jail, mm-hmm. number one, some guys are already in jail, and number two, some guys uh, hate their wives so much that they are willing to stay in jail before they give a gift. It's irrational. So it does, it does happen. It how does happen. Common? Well, it's not, it's not very common. I mean, the truth of the matter is, I, 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 I do want to emphasize, Aguna is a serious problem. I, I, I don't at all take it lightly. But it is not huge in terms of numbers. Uh, I think the pro-Aguna activists, and there are activist organizations, greatly, greatly exaggerate the numbers. Now, again, the fact, even if it's only a few women, we have to help them and we have to deal with that. I'm not, I don't mean to diminish the problem, but it is not an extremely common problem. Most women who want divorces get, get divorces. And although every rabbi knows of horror stories, and there are horror stories, but they are exceptions. They are not, they are not the norm. Most of them, I mean, divorce is hard by definition. It's never easy. But in terms of the process, most of it at least the get proceeds fairly smoothly. There may be all issues about custody and property that that are bitterly contested, but the get process itself will be relatively smooth. Yeah. Okay, I have three questions. Number one, um, this, how does halacha allow all this force and the coercion to get on get? If it only isn't to come from him out of Okay, excellent, excellent question. And uh, this is Maimonides' famous question. Maimonides says, hey, what's going on here? We have a rule that a get has to be given willingly, right? But then you're telling me, once the woman has a psaac, we can beat the guy until he says, I want to give it. How could that be? That's not willingly, that's coercion, that's threat of violence, that's fear of death. So Maimonides offers a fascinating psychological explanation. He says, in the innermost recesses of every person's being is a desire to keep Hashem's law. You can call that the godly soul, the real me, so to speak. But sometimes the Yetzir Hara, or the animal soul, is so powerful that it prevents the expression of the person's true essence. So when I put a gun to his head, that takes away the desire of the animal soul to violate the Torah. So the yes that emerges, I'll give a get, is not a product of coercion. It is simply removing the Yetzir Hora not to listen to God. And that's the difference why you need a decision of a basin. Because unless the basin decides the woman is entitled to a get, then you're coercing him to give a get. Then it's no good. Then it is no good. If a woman hires mafia without having a psaac basin, the get is invalid. Mm 
You see? But once there's a psak based in, Maimonides gives the idea that any yes that is obtained to fulfill a decision of a based in is a true yes. It is not a coerced yes. It take, takes away the Yetzir Hara not to listen to the Torah. That's what the Rambam says. Yeah. If we use this lesson from Rambam as the basis for the issue of intent, yeah. why do we not use his... His. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't use it for the women's grounds of Muz. Right. Well, well, again, these are two different rules of, of Maimonides, and uh, they are not logically dependent. And the problem basically is that nobody argues on the rule I just said. The intent. And on the intent. And Rabbeinu Tam does argue on the... Uh, on the Mois ally, the woman saying, right, so... No one argues this? No, everyone agrees with, with the Rambam. Because, because again, uh, the Talmud itself says, once there's a Psaq based, and we can use unlimited force. Maimonides is just giving the psychological explanation for what is an undisputed ruling of the Talmud. So as a result, uh, whether you agree with the Rambam's reason or not, may, may, but, but the bottom line is still going to be there. I mean, Kofin uh, Oso... Right, the Rambam is trying to explain the reason of Kofin Oso Ad Sheyoma Rotsani. So that is an undisputed principle in the Gemara. The Rambam's contribution is to explain how is that not a contradiction to the free will that you need for again. See? So it's not so much, maybe I misstated, that everybody agrees with the Rambam, rather, everybody agrees with the rule that the Rambam is trying to explain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, um, well, hopefully that would be the case, but, but not necessarily, because the Rambam simply says, when he, in other words, it's like, uh, I, I, you know, the, the, the vocabulary of Tanya actually fits very, very much here. You know, if I could, I don't know how much Tanya you've learned, I mean, I know you've, you're obviously learning it now, but, you know, the Alter Rebbe talks about the Ava that is misuteret, right? There, there's a hidden love. But then it has to come out through Seichel, uh, through the Moach Sholet Alalev, it has to come out Behiskalut Libo. Now, the Halacha by. Yes, Mesuteret uh, means there's a hidden love that every Jew has for Hashem. And you're born with that. That's nothing you work on, it's nothing that you, you, you get. You have it. But what is your Avoda, your divine service? is to take that which is hidden and latent within you and through meditation and contemplation bring it out into a living, actualized emotion. That is called hiskalut liba. So the, 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 the idea of a get fits that vocabulary perfectly. Yeah, in the inner recesses of his heart he wants to give the get. But halakhically it has to come out as an expressed desire. So the coercion is simply to bring out what is already there, misuteret, uh, hidden, and bring it out, hitgalut, revealed, but unfortunately the guy could die before he reaches that level. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't come out hitgalut, so unfortunately uh, the klipa, the shell, may be so strong that you literally, you know, you couldn't break the shell. That's what it is. So why wouldn't we use this method in like other interpersonal laws? Uh, the truth is, you, the truth is, you could. The truth is, you actually could. You you actually could. 
again, most of the time, you know, the stakes are not so high, so, so it's not done. But yeah, this is not a unique principle to divorces. This is a principle uh, that applies to any decision of a bait in, even a monetary decision. Uh, if, if you uh, hit somebody's car and the bait in says you're obligated to pay, theoretically, you could be beaten until you come up with the money. If you have the money, that is. Okay? Alrighty. So now, uh, yeah. So no one would be held liable if, like, you hire, if the big dean says, go ahead, hire Mafia, she hires Joe, the Mafia guy. Yeah. And Joe, uh, like, beats, you know, the, yeah. the husband with the lead pipe until the husband is dead. Yeah. So according to the big dean, Joe, I guess, let's assume Joe is Jewish for this. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph. Yeah. 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 I don't know, wait. He is not, no problem. No problem? He has no he, he is like he is an emissary of the Beit Din, just like an executioner of a Beit Din. He's not liable for anything. He is doing his job. Now, uh, maybe a little tricky if he used more force than was necessary. You know, uh, whatever. There, there may be cases where there may be a problem. He was instructed to kill him. He was instructed to threaten him. Yeah, but 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 the threatening can actually take physical beating if 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 the threats are not listened to. Meaning, you tell the guy, you know, you, know, you don't give a get, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, beat you up. He doesn't give a get, we start beating him up. I mean, yeah, but then you can stop before he's dead. Well, only if he says, I want to give a get. <laughs> Meaning, he has to say, I want to give sounds, a get. Sounds crazy that there's like Well, it's a way of enforcing the decision of a base, then, as they say. Uh, he could stop it. Listen, he could stop it. What is stopping him? You know, uh, you know he, 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 as soon as he says, I will give a get. We stop. Now, the only question you could ask is, so what if the guy says it every two seconds, then changes his mind? I mean, you know, this can go on for five years. You know, we punch him, he says, I'll give a get. We stop, you know. Right. How, long do, how long do we wait, you know? As he says, I'll give a get, isn't that enough? Yeah, but, but, I know, but it takes time to write a get. So, I mean, so let's say we get a sofa in, then he says, I changed my mind. So we got to start it again. I, I know a fellow, and I'll tell you more about the story as we go on, but I know a fellow who refused to give a get, and there was a PSAC based in, and there were demonstrations in Facebook, this is in the States, so they didn't do physical coercion, but they had all the Facebook rallies. He finally shows up at a based in to give a get. He's in the room, and the sofa is there to write the get. Everybody's there. He then says he has to go to the bathroom. This is on the second story of a building. He climbs out of the window in the bathroom and jumps, jumps two stories down. Like Ted Bundy. Yeah, and he escapes. He changed his mind. Why? I was going to say, there are crazy people in the world, you know, it's like... Uh, could you not say that because of, like, mental insanity? Well, like, that... Could you not go by that, like, somehow, like, yeah, is there nothing that, like, like, well, well, the marriage? Well, well, as a matter of, as a matter of fact... That's actually, okay, I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's actually what happened. This is a very infamous case, actually. Actually, what happened was, for several years, this woman was trying to get a get. And she actually got up sock based in that he has to give a get. He refused, and he jumped out of the bathroom window, etc. She actually wound up getting an annulment, which I'm going to get to, on the grounds that he was mentally... Uh, crazy, and therefore there was never a marriage to begin with. Now, this is a psaac. What if he was totally mentally stable during the marriage? And then he got crazy? Yeah. Like, how okay, that, that, that's, that's Aguna 
squared. That that is a real that is a real 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 problem, because if somebody was mentally competent when there was a marriage. Well, because that's I mean. No in fact, let me let me give you a case. Married, like, yeah, yeah. I'm getting ahead of a lot. I'm getting ahead of a lot of things. But let, let me give you let me give you a case of another type of aguna. In other words, the aguna we've been talking about today and last week is the bad husband who doesn't want to give a get. Right? That's the aguna we've been talking about. Let me give you another aguna, and that is the incapacitated husband. Uh, and this is a real, real, real problem uh, because even the state of Israel, like, there's nothing that can be done. Uh, this was a case that happened in Sfats around seven years, no, around uh, three years ago, three years ago. And what happened was, this was happened to be a non-religious couple, but that makes no difference because in Israel you still need a religious divorce, even if you're not uh, Dati. What happened was the husband was in an automobile accident and he was in a coma for seven years. And the doctors thought, even though he was on a respirator and everything, but there was no uh, reasonable chance you never know, but there was no reasonable chance based on experience that he would come out of it. Now, she could not remarry because she didn't have a get. And a man in a coma cannot give a get. So she petitioned the Beit Din in Svat to somehow permit her to marry. Now, this is a real quandary. He was mentally competent at the time of the marriage, so it was a good marriage. It was a halakhically good marriage. He is now mentally incompetent to give a get. So how, in what way, can she get a hedger? It's a real, real problem. So here's what the Basin and Sfat did. The Basin and Sfat issued a psaq. It's a very controversial psaq. They said the following. They said, you know, a get does not have to be given by the husband, a get can be given by the husband's sholiach agent, right? For example, very simple case, if husband is in the U.S. and the woman is here, right, we talked about this, the husband can make a sholiach, huh? On behalf. On behalf of the husband. Now, here the problem is, okay, yeah, a husband could make a sholiach, but husband has to make a sholiach. Husband didn't make a sholiach here. So here's the Bastin's jump. There is a principle in the Gemara that says that when something is a benefit to somebody, we can act on his behalf even without his knowledge because it's so beneficial to him that we can assume that if he would be aware, he would want us to do it. Uh, now, let me give you examples where that applies in non-controversial areas. The example that Gemara says is the following. Let's say I'm walking in the street and I find $1,000. Now, I'm allowed to keep that money for myself if I want because there's no identification. But let's say I want to pick it up for you. I pick it up on your behalf. Now, you didn't make me a shaliach. You didn't tell me, please pick up that money for me. But since the assumption is most people are very happy to get possession of $1,000, I can make myself the agent for you even without your knowledge because the assumption would be you would certainly have agreed. The Hebrew for this principle, this is a, uh, this is a principle in the Talmud, zachin 
liadam zachin. We confer a benefit on a person. Shelo bifanav, not in his presence, which actually means without his express authorization. Zachin liadam shelo bifanav. Another example, which I think Chabad may do sometimes, it's a little controversial, is chametz. Well, we know that the rabbi sells right, your chametz before Pesach, so you shouldn't don't chametz. Now let's say I have a person who comes to me every year to sell chametz, but this year they forgot. They went on vacation three weeks before Pesach, and they forgot to contact me. So according to some opinions, I can sell their chametz even without them authorizing me because I know from past experience that this is something, unless we had a fight or something, this is something they would want me to do. In other words, this is creating agency, shlichut, agency, without express appointments of the agent. Normally, shlichut is you appoint somebody. This is what you might call presumptive agency. Now that is a principle in the Gemara. This basin didn't invent that principle. But what the basin did do, and this is very new, is they said that since we can assume that the husband wouldn't want his wife to suffer indefinitely by him languishing in a coma, and if he could, let's say he could be awoken for one minute. That's, that's the hypothetical. If we had one minute of consciousness, and then he knew he was going to go back into the coma, and we would ask him, would you make us a shaliach to write a get, a get to your wife? He would say yes. That, that's the basin's assuming. Therefore, we can assume that the get is for his benefit, and we could be his shaliach. We'll write the get with his name in it. We'll write the get as his agents based on the principle of zochin liadam shalobafanav, that he would want this. And the reason he would want this is because he wouldn't want his wife to suffer. So what the basin said was is, if medically the consensus is, now you never know, people do come out of comas, even many, many years, but if the medical consensus is he is not going to come out of the coma, the based in constituted themselves as his shaliach to write the get, and they did so. Now, I have to point out this is an extraordinarily controversial halachic decision. And most of the rabbis in Israel that opined on this decision disagreed with it. They said that forget, a shaliach has to be appointed by the husband. And you can't work with some supposition, oh, this is what the husband would have wanted. So if the husband would have appointed a shaliach, that would be something very different. In fact, some people, some religious people, when they go to the hospital for an operation, they appoint a shaliach to give a get if they're unconscious so they won't come out of it. They actually have somebody that they appoint. That was not the case here. The husband didn't expect to be in the accident, and there was no shaliach. Okay, so 
I think I, I'm answering this. Someone asked the question, what happens if the husband is incapacitated? So you, you have this decision, but according to most rabbis, there really is nothing you can do. Uh, so this is a real, real controversial and interesting psaq. Just to show you how controversial it is, normally when a Beit Din issues a psaq about a divorce, the typical psaq is around one or two pages long. You know, it's a very, very relatively short. This was a 95-page psaq, which is, for a psaq of a basin, that is like a huge book. No psaq is 95 pages in Israel. But they understood this was such a, a controversial decision, they needed to bolster it with all sorts of sources and, 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 and the like. Uh, so they tried to make the strongest case that they could make, but it's a real, real, real uh, controversial psaq. Now, let me point out how these things get misused. The Beit Din made a very important observation. They said, our psaq, that the Beit Din can make themselves a shaliach, is only about a, 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 an incapacitated husband. It is not a solution for an unwilling husband. In other words, if the husband is competent and says, I don't want to give a get, we cannot say to him, oh, since it's good for you to give a get, we'll be your shaliach. In other words, you understand the difference. In the case of the incapacitated husband, we could argue if he would be awake, he would tell us to do this anyway. But if the husband is, is awake and says, I don't want you to do it, you can't do it. So they wrote, Beferish, they explicitly wrote, do not apply this decision to the recalcitrant guy. It only applies to the incapacitated guy. But life has slippery slopes. A later basin that was not as learning actually used this to write again when the husband said no. And that's totally, that, 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 even like the basin of Tzvat, that is incorrect and is absolutely incorrect. So in this case of the spot guy who was in a coma, yeah. it was for his emotional benefit that they established the ruling? That was the argument. The, well, of course, it, it, it can't really be an emotional benefit because he's in a coma. So there's no emotional, but, but the concept is, what would he have wanted us to do if he would be aware? And if it's clear to us that he would have wanted us to give his wife a get, then that makes it a benefit then. Benefit means what he really would have wanted us to do. They're defining benefit to mean that which he really would have wanted. Yeah, I'm sorry, you think? This apply also to like wife and Okay, so when a wife, God forbid, is in a coma, that's a much easier situation. Let me explain why. Remember, under Torah law, a man can have two wives anyway. And it's only the ban of Rabbeinu Gershon that says he cannot marry another wife. So the ban of Rabbeinu Gershom can be taken off when the woman is unable to accept the get. So essentially, the man can get a heter. He still has to support his wife and pay her medical expenses. He can't cut her off. But he would actually be given a heter if he wants to, to marry another wife. He doesn't need, doesn't need to give a get. So if, God forbid, a woman is uh, in that situation, uh, you don't need a, an unusual psak to help the husband uh, if he needs to get married again. But when the man is incapacitated, that's a very, very severe problem. So again, I, I think it's important that you know the psak of the Basin of Svat, but you also need to know 
that although this was this was a, a hush of a basin. This was not a an insignificant basin. The three rabbis were very learned, but but their decision was not accepted by most of the uh, rabbinate in Israel. Now that create now again in terms of this particular woman, she doesn't care. She's not religious. So if she has a psak of any basin in Israel, she's allowed to go ahead and get married. In other words, she doesn't have to worry about the fact that all the other rabbis think uh, it's not permitted because she has a legal decision in her favor. But, but, there are complications. I mean, let me explain the complications. Let's say the woman gets married because of this psak. Now, the base that made themselves a shuliach. And she gets married to another guy and she has children from husband number two. 20 years later, those children want to remarry. Now, there are going to be Bastins in Israel that say those children are mobsters because if they did not recognize the divorce that the Bastin did, then her second marriage is adultery and the children that she has from the second marriage are mamzerim, right? So it's very, very messy. Bastins that accept what the Bastin of Tzfat did would say the kids are not mamzer. But basins that didn't accept what the basin of Tzfat did would say the kids are moms. So even if the woman herself doesn't care because she's not religious, there may be all sorts of repercussions for children that she'll have, if she has them, from the second marriage. I don't recall how old she was, if having children uh, is a possibility or, or not, but that's uh, part of how com- complex it is. Because you see the problem. The problem is, in Israel... Every Beit Din is a world unto itself. So one Beit Din can refuse to accept what another Beit Din did. And therefore it it creates all sorts of complications regarding the status of future generations. Now there is in Israel what you might call a supreme Beit Din, which is called Beit Din Ho'elyon. It is just like Israel has a secular Supreme Court, Israel has a supreme rabbinic court. It's called Beit Din Ho'el Yon. Uh, but for various reasons, they, they don't decide a lot of things. A lot of things are literally left to local but they did to decide. And one Beit Din does not have to listen to another Beit Din. So it's a real, these things could be a real, real mess. Yeah? I mean, aren't these not to be insensitive to like, obviously there are you know, really horrible situations. But like, aren't the halachot essentially coming like to to like when you get married to somebody, you're supposed to like the whole thing that like secular people say about like sickness and health. Yep. Isn't that essentially what this is? Like, if you decided to marry this person, nobody wants to be in one of these situations. But like, when you marry a person, you don't know if they're going to like. Uh, Well, listen, I I, I, listen. I I do understand, and uh, what you're saying is fundamentally correct. Um, on the other hand, not everyone properly lives on that level, and uh, yeah, you're right. You're I would right. never say that to someone in that situation. You know, yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I understand that, like yeah. in these cases, it's like a horrible thing. Yeah. You know, but like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, listen, I, I know others. Yeah, I, I mean, I know other situations. I know of a of a woman who um, became totally paralyzed uh, in epidural after after childbirth. Mm-hmm. Can't move at all, and. Uh, you know, her husband has stayed with her for uh, you know twenty, thirty years. And, you know, this is this is what it is. And he has, 
she, I mean, Baruch Hashem, her, her mind is good and she's able to communicate, but she cannot do anything in the house at all. And uh, he does 100% of what needs to be done, and he does so with uh, happiness and joy and to real, you know, both of them, both of them are tzaddikim. She's a great tzaddikas who takes this awful uh, disability with a lot of simcha. She lives her life with simcha, and he's a great tzaddik with all of the hardship. So that, that, that's, of course, how a Jew should strive to live, but, but not everybody uh, is there, you know, not everybody can live that way. Yeah. Um, would the um, ruling from the Fitting Spot, would that apply to um, someone who is mentally unstable? Be like, you won't, yeah. they won't give a get because they just... So, so here, here is the thing. Because they became mentally unstable. Yeah, yeah. you're 100% correct. It seems to me that uh, anybody in a coma is also mentally unstable. So, so uh, plus, plus more. So, so if you're going, if you're applying that to a coma, I think it could apply to um, all cases of severe mental instability. Now, again, the psak is controversial and not accepted, but if you accept that psak, I think it would Wait, apply. What if you did someone who has like amnesia or something? Yeah. Forgets that he's even. Well, yeah. So, uh, so this is where you would. I, I think this psak would apply to that situation. By the way, Rav Moshe had an interesting. Rav Moshe Feinstein, his very first tshuva, written in the 1920s when he was a young rabbi in Russia, involved mental competency to give a get. Uh, this is this is the story that this goes back to the 1920s. There was a man who married a woman. And shortly after the marriage, he began to behave in very crazy ways. Uh, he, he considered himself Mashiach, and he said he reached the level of Adam Harishon before the sin of the Garden of Eden. So he stripped, he went naked, and uh, he said, you know, he, 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 he has brought the world back to the perfect state before the sin of the Eitz Hadas, so there's no need for clothing. So the woman wanted a divorce, and the, the, her parents wanted a divorce, but the Shiloh would be, he's crazy, he's not competent to give a divorce. Now, Rav Moshe Feinstein did not go with the Shaliach idea, he would not accept that. But here's what Rav Moshe Feinstein said. Rav Moshe Feinstein said that halakhically the man is not crazy, because based on his delusional belief, he's actually rational. Rav Moshe Feinstein differentiated between a person that's totally nuts, and a person who has a crazy belief about himself, but if it's true, he's behaving logically based on that belief. So Rav Moshe Feinstein says, if the man is willing to give a get, and he was willing to give a get, he is mentally competent because if he thinks he's Moshiach, you know, he could make the argument, although <laughs> we don't think Moshiach goes so naked either. So Rav Moshe permitted the get to be written. This what do we do if we declare a man to be mentally incompetent to give a get. So at that point, most opinions would say the woman is stuck. Really? The base of tzfat would, would, would allow but the... in like other cases, the woman's stuck. Mo- most opinions would say the woman is stuck, absolutely. Unless, unless she could show he was mentally incompetent at the time of the marriage. But what if he wasn't? She is stuck, she is stuck. That, that's a tragic situation. She is, she is stuck. Because if... Then you can't even force them. Can you show that? That's correct. That's correct. Can you show that someone was mentally unstable before the marriage, and therefore during the The before the marriage? No, but I'm saying before the marriage, something happened. During the marriage, it was fun. 
Oh, like now in the marriage, something's happened again. That so like the they PTSD were showed up. No, not PTSD. No, no that kind mental of instability was just covered up. I mean, I mean, I mean, first of all, let, let me just make an obvious point. Uh, mental incompetence is a very, very, very high standard. Meaning, you have to be really bad. Meaning, uh, people with emotional problems, people with uh, bipolar, they, they are they are mentally competent. I mean, to be mentally incompetent. You have to kind of not know what's going on at all. So most people, even if they have severe psychological problems, are mentally competent, and therefore we could force them to give a get through a based in or whatever it is. I mean, I don't want you to think that everybody with psychological problems are, are halakhically mentally incompetent. Mentally incompetent is a very, very extreme type of level. A coma would be an example, and that's why the basin of Tzvat had to create this new idea of being a shaliach, which is very controversial. Yeah? I'm just having, like, I don't like the whole concept where, like, if a woman is in the place where she's kind of stuck, how you're able to go around and, like, physically assault someone to the point of death and to do all these things, I feel like it should just be, like, and obviously it's not, but, like, that the way to get a get is just different. Like, why are there such extreme levels that you can go through, like, wouldn't it just make more sense for the process to get it, to just be so, like, she's not relying on his, his cooperation, too? Like, it bothers me. In other words, yeah. just have the base and declare. And I get, yeah. I, last time you said because the, it was between the two of them. Yeah. And I get that, but, like, why are there so many, like, extremes that you can go through that are legal that are, like, very, very extreme? Yeah, like, yeah. Why should there need to be this at all? Yeah, well, well again, this is discussed. I mean, some have suggested... Uh, okay, let me go through it, because, again, there's a lot more stuff that I want to say about this, and, you know, I think some of the questions will be answered as we, as we go through it. Okay, so let me mention some other uh, uh, vehicles of remedy that Agunot have, uh, women that are stuck. We talked about the Basin process. We talked about the difference in Israel and Chutz La'aretz. Uh, we talked about, this was a digression, the Tzfat Mahal uh, approach for incapacitated husbands. Yeah. Sorry, just quickly that. Yeah. If it's abuse in the situation that you want to get, it get. But yeah. like some people, times people are too like, like emotionally like not able to like make that decision when they're, when they're like being abused. Would somebody else be able to take their place and like petition for... Uh, uh, well, they can, but yeah. only but only if the woman authorized them to do it. Meaning, you cannot just put yourself in the woman's place. Okay. The woman could ask you to represent her. In fact, that's what a lawyer is basically. But but even, even if it's not a lawyer, but uh, a woman because I'm not in a position to present my my, uh, my my case. But the woman has to make a shaliach. Uh, you can't just get a get for a woman that she didn't uh, <laughs> she didn't directly request. Yeah. So women are not usually valid witnesses in a court proceeding. In the case where she's trying to um, substantiate whatever allegations, affair, physical abuse, whatever, is she a valid witness? Yeah, so that's, that's a very good point. Uh, here, the but they didn't understand that it might be very rare, if not impossible, for a woman to have halakhically valid witnesses to things that happen in the bedroom or happen in the house, etc. So in this situation, uh, the Bate Din uh, are able to set aside the evidentiary standards 
and they do allow women to be witnesses. They even allow children to be witnesses. Yeah, so they'll take uh, non-Jewish neighbors, you know, in other words, they'll, they will take all sorts of information. Uh, police reports, even in America from a, a social service agency. So, uh, you know, because, you, you, I, mean, you, I mean, you're 100% correct. What you're asking is, if you were to require the halakhic rules of evidence, uh, no woman would be able to prove anything at all. Uh, so we have to, so here the Basin has Rishus to set aside the normal rules of procedure. Yeah. If we're using, if we can use an agent on someone's behalf, that it should benefit them, yeah. as in that it should be what they, deep down, what they would have wanted, isn't that the same thing as Rambam saying, deep down everyone wants to serve Hashem and like follow Hashem's laws? Yeah, but the difference, well, well, ultimately it is, but, but the difference is that in the Rambam's case, you eventually have to have the person themselves saying, I want. Meaning you say, the Rambam did not say, see, look at the difference here. The Rambam did not say, if the guy doesn't want to give a get, we will give a get for him because that's what he really wants. The Rambam requires that ultimately he say he says, that's what I want. So Rambam isn't using that as a legal basis. He's just saying it's like a fact of our That's correct, psyche. that's correct, that's correct. But the Rambam still requires that what is in the depths of your inner being be expressed externally. Now the problem with the, the basin of Tzfat was using the argument even though the person's in a coma and never actually Express. expresses it. Mm-hmm. So it's going much further than the Rambam in that, in that, in that way. You see, that's why it's more controversial. Why is it so difficult in the Torah for this, like, to for a woman to get a get that she can just be stuck? Like, it doesn't. Like, it just seems like it's so like. As a, that's why, like, I feel like it goes to that extreme. But it's still like, if a guy's in a coma, like, you're stuck. Like that, you can't do anything. Well, you know, again, it's interesting. I have two different perspectives. We we heard from uh, someone there that uh, the other way around, marriage is in sickness and in health, and. Uh, why should a person want to get out of something because someone's going to come around? So you see, there are different perspectives here. Some might say part of marriage is that it shouldn't be so easy to get out. After all, in the case of a coma, you know, the guy didn't do anything bad. Right? He's not he's a good husband. Right? So there are different ways of looking at it. And, um, but all I'm saying is, first of all, again, one thing to keep in mind, the obvious point to keep in mind is these are not common cases. These are not everyday cases. In other words, we're discussing extreme situations that are problematical, but this is not the everyday bread and butter situations. Baruch Hashem, most marriages survive, although the divorce rate gets higher and higher, and marriages that have to terminate do get terminated uh, without so many problems. So really, we're discussing a, a, a pretty small percentage of cases. It shouldn't be, this is the way it always is. Yeah. So what would you say if there's like a woman, she's emotionally abused and she's like, husband like doesn't like take care of her and the community's already clear of them and like they've done everything but nothing has like helped, what would you do? You're talking about outside of Israel? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a very hard situation. I mean, we, you know, one route is the demonstration route. Which, I mean, like, yeah, like nothing like that happened. Like, it's public, everybody knows. You know, there are going to be problems. I mean, someone could hopefully talk to the husband and ask the husband, what is it that you really want? Is there something that you want? 
Are you asking for something? Sometimes, I mean, I hate to say this, sometimes you, get, you have to give in to blackmail, meaning to say a woman might have to decide, and maybe the community would help her, of course. You know, if I pay you $100,000, will you give me again? Now, I know that there's something repugnant in giving in to blackmail, but sometimes if at the end of the day, if the debt is so important, uh, she'll come up with the money, and it shouldn't be just her, meaning we, we should come up with the money. It should be something the community does. I will tell you one interesting story. This is from Toronto. Listen to this story. It's a little, little off color, so forgive me. Um, a man refused to give a get to his wife, so all of the women of the community decided they would not go to the mikveh until he gave a get to his wife. So that means like 200 women said they would not be with their husbands until he gave a get to his wife. Uh, the get was given within a week. Whoa. Well, the guys. Yeah, the guys <laughs> what happened was the 200 guys came and said, give the get. You know? So uh, there, are, there are these types of pressures that can sometimes uh, work in an informal uh, basis, right? So sometimes that might work, you know. Yeah. In some cases, I mean, it's not going to work every case, but sometimes that might work, you know. So there are there are different ways of doing. It. Okay, let me mention uh, some other things that can sometimes work as well. Again, I'm, I'm giving you like a, a catalog of things. One is we've discussed a lot of times that you only need a get when a marriage is halachically valid. So often, not often, but in a number of cases we can find some halachic defect in the marriage so the woman doesn't need a get. Now, what would the example be? The most common example would be the witnesses under the chuppah were not kosher witnesses. Now, to be a kosher, you need to. To be a kosher witness, you gotta be two men they have to be bar mitzvah. They cannot be related, like even like cousins, to each other or to the chasen or the no, kala. No, no. So, so uh, <laughs> uh, second cousins are okay. First, up to the first cousin, and most important, they must be halachically observant, based on orthodox understanding of halacha. Now, if a marriage took place, even with a chuppah, even with a, you know, a chuppah, even with sheva brachas, even with a ksuva, in other words, they did everything ritualistically correct, but the witnesses were not halachically kosher, there's no marriage. Even though there's a chuppah, even though it was a, you know, it looked like a religious wedding. If that's the case, then she doesn't need a get. She can, she, can, she can marry without a get because there was no halachic marriage. There was a civil marriage. Civil marriages can be terminated by civil divorces. Only halachic marriages need a get and halachic marriages require kosher witnesses. Or, even if the witnesses are kosher, if it was a double ring ceremony where, I mean, normally that wouldn't be in an Orthodox wedding, but let's assume the, the unusual case, the witnesses were Orthodox, but the ceremony was a double ring. Double ring meaning bride gives to groom, groom gives to bride. Halachically, at least that's a question. It may, may not be valid. Uh, and certainly if it was a civil marriage, 
justice of the peace or whatever it is, it's also not halachically valid. So in some situations, we do have the scenario where we have to investigate the wedding to determine whether it was halachically valid. And that could help an aguna because if the if the marriage is not halakhically valid, you don't need to get it. Now, I want to point out, this is a last resort. It is standard practice that even in a non-halakhic marriage, we try to procure a get. As we don't simply say, oh, don't worry about it. Why? The reason is because some say that even a non-halakhic marriage can become a halakhic marriage if they live together as man and wife, similar to the idea of a common-law marriage. So, lechatchila, that means in the first instance, we do try to procure a get. We don't automatically say, forget about it, the get. But if a woman cannot get a get, she can sometimes go to the Beit Din and they will determine that the first marriage was not halakhically valid. Now, this is tricky because sometimes this may happen like 30 years later. In other words, it's not like no, somebody wants to get after 30 years. We have to go back and figure out 30 years ago. Who were the witnesses on the marriage? You know, that's not so easy to, to figure out. Yeah. So if a, if a marriage is found invalid and therefore you don't need to get, yeah. is the woman consider, considered a divorcee? No, she's not. So and she, she could can... marry a Cohen, actually. She could actually marry a Cohen. That, that's, that's correct. Now, so that's one type of... Yes. No. That, well, remember, I, I, I said a number of times that a woman who sleeps with a Jew can still marry a Kohen as long as she's not a divorcee. It is only with a non-Jew that she cannot marry a Kohen, right? So uh, a Jewish woman whose marriage was uh, invalidated retroactively is allowed to marry a Kohen because she did not get a get and she was with a Jew. Okay. Uh, yeah. For the Pusher witnesses, um, what's the deal with brothers-in-law? And like two part question. If their brothers in law already like like he married his sister, yep. if their brothers in law already at the wedding, and then like what if they were totally unrelated individuals at the time of signing Cuba, but then a year later this guy marries that guy's sister? Well, uh they are kosher when they're not related, and they are not kosher when they are related. So for the first wedding, they were kosher, and the second wedding, they, would, they wouldn't be kosher, right? Even though it's only by marriage that they're related? Even by marriage, yes, that, that's correct, that's correct. Uh, because of the principle that husband and wife are treated as, as if they're like one person. So the rule is that the same way a brother cannot be a witness for a brother... So uh, the husband of a sister cannot be a witness for her brother. So a Kohen can go to the burial of his parents-in-law? No, no, no. Okay, okay. In other words, we, we only say this uh, for we we say this only to be strict and not to be lenient. Meaning, meaning, in in the laws of testimony, we disqualify a witness based on marriage, but marriage will not give him the right to go to the cemetery if he's a Kohen. So does it retroactively annul the Jewish No, no, it does not. No, no, because what happens later is only prospectively. It, it doesn't, doesn't affect what was done before. Okay, so they, they were fine if they signed for, if they were the two witnesses. At, at the time they signed, they were not related, is that what you're saying? And they only became related by marriage a year later. Yeah, by the so, so what they did, what they did a year before, is not invalidated by a relationship that's created a year later. Yeah. Um, do the witnesses have to do anything at the wedding? 
No, they just have to watch. Uh, now the rabbi will. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, if you ever if you ever stand near a chuppah, you will basically see that the rabbi makes a lot of announcements. He speaks to the witnesses. He says to the witnesses, "You are the only witnesses to the exclusion of everybody else. You have to see the groom, the chassan, putting the ring on the bride's uh, finger and uh, saying the words that he says. Behold, you are betrothed to me." Uh, and uh, the, the, typically, the rabbi shows them the ring and says, in your opinion, is this worth a penny? Because they have to certify that it's worth, that's always a little bit of a joke under the clip of, yeah, we think it's worth uh, a penny, you know, whatever it would be. But basically, the witnesses just have to watch, and they do have to watch, so they have to be careful not to sneeze in the critical moment. You know, because if uh, they sneeze when the chassan is putting on the ring and their eyes shut momentarily, you know, uh, may, they may have to do it again. Yeah. How well, come, Tammy, you learned that, that if a guy gives a girl a ring and there's two, more than two people around, then they consider married? Well, those two people are not even married. Yeah, the, tr- the truth is not, not really. Not, not really. I mean, because, I mean, there's, there's a question because some say if you're doing it in front of witnesses, you intend them to be the witnesses. But generally speaking, if it's understood that it's a joke, uh, it's not, you know, so, uh, but, but you're correct. It's not a good practice. This is what kids love to do this. When kids learn about uh, you give a woman a penny and uh, you marry her. So you, you have in co-ed high schools, uh, yeshiva high schools, you always have like some eighth grader, you know, giving a nickel to a, to a girl in the class and saying, oh, all right, we don't you, you know, and, and uh, so we, 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 want, we want them to take this seriously. So sometimes the rabbi will scare them. You're now married. Mm-hmm. You, the girl, you have to cover your hair. And you, the boy, you have to uh, you know, give her a gift and you can't marry a coin. But it's more of a way of scaring them. So uh, you, you, yeah, usually it's not, it's not a valid marriage. Okay? So again, so the invalidation works if the witnesses are not kosher. It may work if it's a double ring ceremony. And it will work for civil marriages. Um, and certainly if, uh, well, if it's an intermarriage, it's not a marriage anyway. That, uh, intermarriage, is, I mean, this is obvious, but just to be sure everyone gets this. You understand that any marriage between a Jew and a non-Jew, not a convert, a non-Jew, is not valid. You don't need a get for marriage between Jew and non-Jew. Uh, the only consequence of that marriage is she cannot marry a Kohen because she had intercourse with a non-Jew. Okay, so what we'll talk about next week is another type of invalidation, not because of halachic irregularities, but because of fraud or deception. This is going to be a major one. You know, Lahavdiel, let me start with the Catholic Church as an analogy. The Catholic Church does not allow divorce. Okay, you can't get a divorce in the Catholic Church. Uh, but there is something in the Catholic Church called annulment. And if you're a Kennedy or rich, you know, you can get annulments. But what annulments basically is, is that you show there was some fraud or misrepresentation in the marriage. So the marriage was never valid to begin with. So what we'll discuss next week, I'll just introduce it now, is there is a concept called halachic annulment sometimes where a woman can claim, actually a man can do it too, but, but a woman who needs a get could actually claim she was tricked into the marriage by a deception, and therefore she was never really married because her consent was obtained by fraud. Let me give you one example that Moshe Feinstein uses of annulment. 
uh, a woman marries a guy and then discovers he's gay, he's homosexual. He wanted to marry to build up his reputation or whatever, whatever it is. Uh, so in such a situation, Rav Moshe Feinstein says uh, that heterosexuality is such a necessary and fundamental part of married life that if she was deceived regarding his sexual orientation, that was a consent procured by fraud, and in such a case, she does not need a get. Now, it's very important to understand there's a lot of subtleties here. Uh, in, in Rav Moshe Feinstein's case, he was gay before the marriage. Was Rav Moshe Feinstein? Rav Moshe Feinstein? No, no, no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. In the case, no, 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 no. In the case that he was discussing. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't mean No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, I meant the case that he was discussing. In, in, in Rav Moshe Feinstein, the case that he was discussing, he, he, uh, the, the man was gay before the marriage. If a person somehow developed the sexual orientation afterwards, that's not annulment. Annulment has to be a pre-existing. How do you have annulment? That's going to be a big question. Moreover, what if he was not homosexual? What if he was bisexual? Now, that's not, that's not exactly the same. Uh, because in bisexual, he's able to have a relationship with her. He just has attractions to, you know, to the other side, too. Right? I, we'll, we'll talk about it more about recently. Again, in fact, this particular example is not necessarily so important. I'm just bringing it out. But, but what we're going to discuss is annulment as an alternative to get. And let me give you the Hebrew term. The Hebrew term for annulment, two words, is really a business term. Mekach ta'us. Mekach ta'us just means a mistaken transaction. Can you say the letters? Mem, kuf, ches is the first word. Second word is tes, Ayin, Vav, Sof, Ta'ut. Now, this is a term that's actually borrowed from business. I mean, let me give you a simple example. You bought a car, and you discover the transmission is all broken. You can get your money back, because Mekach Ta'ut. You were deceived in the transaction. So this is not unique to marriage. This is an overarching principle that when you engage in a transaction and you were deceived, you can cancel the transaction. So the idea here is the same argument about canceling the sale of a car or a computer or a lease, right? You rented an apartment and then you discover that uh, there's no heat, right? You can, it's a winter. You can cancel so mekach ta'us applies to marriage too when a woman, or a man for that matter, was fundamentally deceived about an important, an important thing. But you, and that's called an annulment. The English word would be annulment. And the advantage of a mekach ta'ut argument is you don't need a get because mekach ta'ut says there was no marriage to begin with. But, but, keep in mind, in order to be an annulment, it has to be a pre-existing problem that existed before the marriage. Abuse is a very good example. Let's say 
a woman gets married to a guy, and after she's married, she discovers that he was a wife beater of a previous spouse. That might be mekech ta'ot, because had she known that, she wouldn't have married him. On the other hand, if he had no prior history of abuse, but started beating her now, that would be grounds for a get. But that's not grounds for an annulment, because an annulment has to be she was tricked into the marriage. Okay, again, there's a lot more to talk about. We'll, we'll talk about this next week. Have a final question? Why is there like, such an easy way out when someone goes in under false pretenses like this? But then when people go in like genuinely and then it doesn't work out, it's so hard to get out. Like you would think if someone goes in, like let them be stuck. No, no, because that, that's exactly the concept. the person whose fault it is, like, yeah. like they should be the guna. Well, the concept is that what, what, you know, once you've agreed, there's a relationship that's created, and there are many, many detailed laws about how to terminate that relationship. It just seems like backwards that, like... Why? Why? I, 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 I'm not sure I follow, I follow your objection, because the difference would be, was somebody tricked into it, or did somebody agree and then things didn't work out? Yeah. They they're able to just get out of it, meaning like they they have no. Confidence. No, I didn't. I didn't say they're able to get out of it. I said the victim. I I didn't say the trickster gets out of it. Meaning to but say the vic. Well, well, yeah, by definition, they but, get but out of it. if the if the other side wants to get out, meaning the victimized party has the right, right to I get out. They get off the hook. In the other way around, with an aguna. Yeah. Like she did nothing wrong and she's stuck. Meaning, like, he goes in under bad circumstances, and yes, the victim is now freed, but also he's like. Well, okay, but you know, but, 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 that, but that's almost inevitable. You can't have a situation, definitionally, where one party is married and the other party is but not married. Like Meaning, not once we're relieving the victimized party, so the, the victimizer gets, gets out too. Well, I mean, there's no. Like, he can't get married for two years or certain things. Oh, I see. In other words, is there any particular punishment? Well, yeah. you know, listen. Uh, a believing Jew understands that all injustice gets punished by God, but there's no particular. So there's no like punishment that. We, yeah, we don't. We, we there's no rule that says he's blacklisted. Now, of course, any uh, any woman who has common sense is gonna, go, you know, go you know not go with this guy with this, with a ten foot pole or whatever whatever it would be. But you'd be surprised. I, I I'm constantly surprised that people who are real bumps in marriages and uh, somehow they managed to get remarried like uh, very, very short, shortly after a divorce and it's very, very amazing who on earth, you know, is going to marry this guy. It, it's, it's quite amazing but okay. Thank you. Alrighty. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.